good morning and happy Father's Day to all you fellows out there that are dads. It is a special thing to be a dad. Sometimes it's challenging and other times it's wonderful. So uh, I think the wonderful outweighs the challenging though. So uh, happy Father's Day to you. Take your Bibles this morning and go to Job, Esther, Job, Psalms in that neighborhood, Job chapter 1. And I want us to think for a few minutes this morning on Father's Day about the model of fatherhood. Um, nobody teaches you about being a dad except the Bible. So, uh, I mean, you can do trial and error, uh, or you can read the Bible and get a model of what we're supposed to be. <clears throat> I was reading a news article this week, and some of you may have seen it. It was uh, in, the, in, a, in a popular news channel. And the title of this article was Communities Devastated, America's Crisis is a Lack of Fathers, the Statistics are Staggering. And so I, I saw that, and that's why I had to read this article. And the statistics, the data in this article are eye-opening. They are quite staggering. In the United States, and this is in this article, um, it says that 18.5 million children grow up without a father. 18.5 million, think about that. Uh, that's incredible, 18.5 million. In fact, the article went on to say the United States leads the world in children being raised without fathers. That's staggering in itself. I mean, we're the wealthiest, most affluent society on the face of the planet, and we have 18.5 million children who are raised without a father. Fathers, the article goes on to say, are essential to the development of our children. We know this. I mean, this is not news to us. It's essential for economic prosperity, increased academic performance, and improved social mobility or interaction. All essential to have a father in a home for children to learn and have those skills. Get this. 80% of single-parent homes are led by a single mother. 80%. 80%. That's not because all them guys died. I want to say it's because they're sorry, but I'll try to refrain from that. It's because they left. They left 80% of single parent homes, left a mom, a woman, to keep a roof over their head and raise the kids. 80%. 85% of teens with behavioral disorders came from a fatherless home. 85%. 70% of adolescents in drug and alcohol treatment centers came from a fatherless home. Listen to this. 90% of all homeless and runaway children came from a fatherless home. Those numbers should break your heart. I mean, they're, they're, they're staggering. What's the lesson? So what's the takeaway from that? The takeaway is, is God knew what he was doing when he built homes, didn't he? Amen. God knew. God knew what he was doing when he created an atmosphere to rear children where you have a, a husband and a wife, a mom and a dad, a man and a woman. God knew what he was doing. How sad that our children and our young people have to suffer because such a large portion of our society refuse to live life God's way or think they know how to do it better than God does. 
And that's exactly why these children suffer. That's exactly why we have the social challenges we have today. It's exactly why we have schools full of kids that have no respect for authority, no respect for teachers, because dads are absent and men are absent in the home. That's a tough start, isn't it? It'll get better. It's okay. I want to look at Job this morning, at the example he sets for a godly home and being a godly father. Look at verse 1 of Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God, and in the King James eschewed or shunned evil. Now, the book of Job, in history, this is a real man. This is a person. This is not a, a story. This is not a, a made-up person. This is a real person. In fact, as best we can tell, Job probably was a contemporary of, around Abraham. You know, somewhere in, in the 2100, 1900 years before Jesus came. So these guys, this guy, Job and his friends and Abraham, they lived a long time ago. And, and this real man lived in that time in his day with a family. And what a model he paints for us here of godly fatherhood even so long ago. Now let's talk about the, the character of, of this man. Number one, he's a real person. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we have a tendency to read about these saints and these Old Testament saints and think they're somehow superhuman. You know, we read about them, we think, well, surely Job and, uh, you know, 2100 B.C. didn't face the same challenges we face today. No, he did. This, there, listen, the Bible says there's no new sin under the sun, okay? There's no new thing. Job had to deal with all the same uh, problems and challenges that, that we dealt with. He's a real person. He, he faced disappointments, and he faced, he faced things that in life that were... I mean, in their day in particular, there's no Walmart, and there's no supermarket to buy food. He, if they're going to survive, they have to grow their food. Do you think that was a burden on him every year to think, I have to feed my... He had 10 kids. And I got to feed this crew, and, and, and you know, we got to survive... And so this man had all the same challenges he had to provide for his family. We read about his account. If you read about his life, he had a vast estate. He was one of the wealthiest men in the East, and his wealth was measured in livestock and animals and, and production. So this man's wealthy. Uh, uh, he, he, was, he, he had a wife and a family that he loved to take care of. He had 10 children to manage and watch over. And listen, as a man, he faced all the same temptations you and I face. He faced all the same challenges, all the same disappointments, all the same, I'm tired, the whole thing. He faced all of that. And yet we find in this man uh, a model of how to face life and how to be a godly husband and how to have a godly home. Now it says here in the description of him quite a lot in the first verse. It says first that Job was blameless. In the King James, I think it says perfect. Well, it doesn't mean that, that Job was sinless doesn't mean that he was somehow this perfect man. There was only one sinless human being, uh, and it was the God-man, Jesus Christ, who came as God and man. Job was not sinlessly perfect, but what it means is that Job had a right relationship with the God who created him. In other words, he's an Old Testament saint who was saved. 
He was saved the same way we're saved. He was saved by faith. So, so this Old Testament saint, and, and think about this. Job lived before there was a Mosaic law. Job didn't have a Bible. Job didn't know about God what we know about God. Job didn't have the revelation about God's plan that we have. But you know what Job did? What Job knew about God, he believed with all his heart. And what Job knew about God, he worshiped God. And God counted his faith to him for what? Righteousness. Just like Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So here we have this Old Testament uh, a saved man who was, who was perfect before God, blameless. Now that's important. Because even today, in the 21st century, when we get saved by faith in Jesus Christ, we become blameless before God. We become perfect before God. Not because we're perfect, but we're made perfect in Jesus Christ. Job was made perfect in his faith as he trusted God. Now I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, how did really, how, really, how did Job get saved? Because uh, he was here before Jesus got here. Yes, he was. You know what the answer to that is? He got saved by faith, same as you and me. Understand this. No one's ever been saved from the Garden of Eden until the last person's born on this planet. They'll never be saved except by faith. Amen. It's always by faith. You say, well, how did Job get saved? Because Jesus hadn't come yet. It's really good. You're listening. You're going to win Jeopardy with this. He was saved by faith looking forward to what God was going to do. We're saved by faith looking back at what God's already done. See, Job believed God was going to provide a way. When did God reveal he was going to provide a way for us to be saved? Right after Adam's sin. Right in the garden. God revealed, I'm going to send one. He's going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush his head. I mean, Jesus was going to come. Well, what Job knew, he believed. And so Job here, we're told, was a, a, a saved man. Men, listen. Fatherhood, as you know, if you have children, is not for the faint of heart. It is, it is challenging. And there's no way to do it right unless you walk with Jesus. That's it. And there's just no way to do it right. And even when you walk with Jesus, we still mess it up, don't we? Because that's the way we are. But there's no hope, listen to me, there's no hope of loving your wife like God commanded us to, which is all part and parcel to raising your kids. There's no hope in, in loving your children. There's no hope in being patient with them like you should be patient with them. One of the things I've discovered as I get older, there's the scale. As my age goes up, my patience goes down. I don't know, that's a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, I have less tolerance for, oh, I don't know what to call it, I'll be kind. I have less tolerance for nonsense, okay? I don't know why that is. When you have children, what do you get a lot of? Nonsense. Stuff, right? I mean, things, things that you go, are we really talking about this? I mean, is this, you know, is this a reality? And for children, it is. My point is, you have no hope, dads, to be a father who's, who, who can see past that and live past that and be patient and be kind. And, and even... Even when you think about ourselves, we, when we fail our Heavenly Father, He is infinitely patient with us, isn't He? And man, I am convicted to be that way with my children when I'm, when I'm not, when I don't feel like being that way. 
And what I'm saying is Job was a saved man, and the, and the only reason he could be all these things that we're going to read about in here is because he had a relationship with God. And, and, the, and the real problem in our society today, the reason so many men are making a hash out of their families and out of their relationship with their kids is because they're lost. And they don't understand that. And they don't have the love of God in their hearts so that they can love their children the way they're supposed to. But Job had all that. It's essential that we have a relationship with God if we're going to love our wives, teach our children, and be the model that we should be in front of them. Um, guys, I would say this to you, if you're watching online or here this morning, if your marriage is struggling, you got to come to Jesus. you got, you got to trust God. If, if, if you're having a difficult time with your kids, man, you got to pray. you got to get close to Jesus. Because here's what I know. There's, there's a lot of things in life I can't do, but God can do everything. And so, so you got to have a relationship with him if you have any hope uh, to be the man God wants you to be. Then, then secondly, it says not only was Job a, a perfect man, meaning he was saved, but he was an upright man. Now that goes hand in hand. To be saved then means to be upright if, if the Christian life is lived as it should be. And what that means is, as a saved man, he followed God's commands as best he knew how. In other words, he was committed to do what God called him to do. He was committed to serve God. It means in his society, he was a man of honesty and loyalty and faithfulness and integrity and moral character, all connected to his faith in God, all connected to his relationship with God. We, we, we can be fine and upstanding citizens, but we will never be the men and women that God created us to be without relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to create that in us. We just cannot because our flesh is too weak. And in the area of fatherhood, it's the same thing. All that God created us to be as fathers is unattainable without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't get there. You can't get there in the flesh. And so this man, this upright man, uh, loved God, and he, and he followed God. Let me give you an example in Job's life that this is true. In Job's society, well, you can read about it in the Old Testament, you read about it in history. It was socially acceptable. Matter of fact, it was the norm in Job's day to have more than one wife. We read about it in the Bible, don't we? All the patriarchs, all, more than one wife. In fact, men who were wealthy like Job often had harems. So I have my wife that I'm going to have my children with that are going to, have, are going to be my heirs, and then i got all these women over here in the harem that I, you know, whatever. You know what the Bible says about Job? You know, one wife. One wife. You know why Job did that? Because God set up marriage between, be between one man and one woman for their life. And you know what? Job believed God. Job didn't bend to social pressure. Even though it was the norm in society, Job didn't have more than one wife. It, we have every indication here he had one wife and he had ten children without one woman. God bless him. In a society that, that, that said, Job, it's okay. You have money. You have wealth. You have resources. You can have, it's okay. Nobody's going to condemn you for having more than one wife. And Job's already said, no, I got one wife because God gave me a wife and that's the only one I need. How much better would many of men been in the Old Testament had they just followed God's way about the family? And so Job, what I'm saying to you is he was an upright man. He, he was committed to follow God and what he knew about God. Man, I would say to you, if we're going to be the dads, the fathers that God's called us to be, we have to be upright. And so what does that mean? That means we have to follow God. 
with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We will fail at it. We, we will fail. And we won't always do everything right. But let me tell you something about kids. They see through hypocrisy. They see through it. They know it. They see it. You can't hide it. You can't hide it in home. If you don't live what you say you believe, they see it. Do you know why so many of our young people don't follow us in their faith? That hypocrisy. They see it. They see dads who aren't really committed to Jesus. They see moms and dads who aren't really committed to one another. They see dads who say, oh man, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and then they leave. Or to have a lady on the side or to do whatever. Mm -mm. They see that. And listen, if they see that, and we aren't upright like Job, you can't talk to them. They're not going to listen to anything you have to say. Why? Because it ain't real in your life, and it ain't going to be real in their life. Job was an upright man. Let me tell you three things that means about him. Number one, he had convictions. It means he wasn't going to be forced to be like everybody else. Man, I kind of I like digging at society by being different. That's probably not right to feel that way, but I do. I just, I just don't like to be forced to do the same thing everybody else is doing. I don't like to be forced to drive on the same road. I, don't like to be, I just don't like to be forced to do that, and particularly in moral issues. Why? Because God's told us how we ought to live, not society. And majority does not make right. God's a majority of one. And so Job was committed to his convictions. He had a backbone. He wasn't going to be moved. Men, your children need to be able to look up to us. Our children need to be able to say, man, my dad's not always pleasant, but I know one thing. He's on one path, and he won't get off of it. That's what I want to be. I'm on one path, and it's the path of Jesus. How about that? And I don't want to get off of it. And I don't want them to get off of it. And if I don't want them off the path, then I have to stay on the path, right? That's what Job was. Consistency. Don't be hot today and cold tomorrow. When I was growing up, we had a neighbor. We lived on big pieces of land. We had gardens and chickens and multiple dogs and cats. We had, and we all lived that way out there. My neighbor would kill a cow and cut the beef up, and we'd get some of it. Not. But that man that lived next door to us, they'd have arbor meetings out there in his backyard. Do you ever remember them things? They put up this thing and put limbs on it and set up chairs and sawdust in there and you go over and they have a shouting, hooting and hollering time and preaching and stuff. And I'd jump the fence and go over there and sit in that thing with them and listen to them. But then six months later, he's not a preacher anymore. He's out in the yard sounding like the rest of my neighbors, you know, talking and fussing and drinking and carrying on. Now listen, consistency. You either saved or you're not. You're either going to live it or you're not, right? Don't, don't do both. Either get in or get out. I mean, that would be the way I'd say it, right? Either be in, say, man, I'm all in for Jesus, or get out. Don't pretend, okay? I mean, I mean, honest to goodness, I want everybody to be saved, but I'd almost rather, if you're not going to get saved, don't act like you're saved. Just, just go do what you're going to do, all right? And meet up with God later and sell it. But don't pretend. So be consistent. And then finally, be committed. You know what children need today? Biblically, they need committed dads. Dads that ain't going to leave. Dads not going to run off. Committed to, their, committed to their mother. 
So the kids should never, a child should never wonder that my mom and dad are not going to be here. Should never have to be a concern of theirs. Job was committed. We should be committed. Our children should never have a fear that we're not going to be there to support them, to help them. Be committed to the family. Take the oath. Stand at the altar. Till death do us part. I commit to you the rest of my life. And then be a man and do it. You say, well, you don't know my wife. No, I don't. But I know you took an oath. And I know you stood before God. And you said, I'm going to be here, good or bad, thick or thin. Well, then keep your behind there. Stay. Take care of those kids. I told Sherry one time, I said, you can leave me, but I'm going with you. <laughs> I mean, you you're not leaving me by myself. I said, wherever you go, I'm going. And I told her, and, and I'm raising these kids. Ain't nobody else raising my kids. You take it as nobody else is influencing my kids. I'm raising my kids. And you're stuck with me. Thankfully, she said, I don't want to leave you. I said, all right. <laughs> We're good. But that's, listen, Job was committed to his family. Ten kids. And, and you know if you read the rest of the book now, Job had a hard time. His life fell apart. But he didn't leave. Even when his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? He stayed. Now there's an example, okay? He's committed. He stayed. And then, and then finally here it says, uh, next it says he feared God. What does that mean? It means he respected God. And again, let's be reminded today. Job knew a thimble full about God, what we know. Job lived in a day when God spoke to people directly. Well, that would have been interesting, right? I mean, God's you know, speaking in various ways right to men, and that would have been wonderful. But I like having the Bible. I like being able to read the, read the whole thing and get the whole picture and know what's going to happen at the end. Job didn't have any of that. Abraham didn't have any of that. But you know what? Whatever God said to them, they go, man, you're God and I believe you. And so he was, he, he was respectful to God. How does that apply in the New Testament? Well, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That's not a suggestion. You just don't understand that. That's not God saying, hey, it would be good for you to be holy. No, God said, be holy. Why? Because I am. Okay, God. You said be holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to fear God, respect Him, and if you reverence God and respect Him for who He is, we will bring our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit in line with God's Word to do what He says so that He's honored. Being holy is... Is a, is a thing that will teach our children a very important principle. And I want you to listen to this now. One of, our, one of our most important jobs, I believe, in parenting is to teach our children respect for authority, respect for laws and rules. I am by nature a, a rule follower when things are ordered out. I like it in order. I like to plan it out. And then I like, I like to plan it, and then I like to work to plan We, as parents, dads in particular, stand in God's place in the life of our children. And here's what I mean by that. As our children follow the rules of the home and respect us as parents, when they grow up, they learn to respect civil authority and ultimately God's authority in their life. So what happens is we raise them to respect 
and, and honor rules and laws and God's word. And then when they become adults, we like hand them off. Now you're not responsible to me anymore. You deal directly with God. Okay? What happens? Here's what happened in our society. Parents have failed to create a home of order and structure for children and kids today do whatever in the world they want to. And they have no respect. I, I've been in public places and heard kids talking to their parents. And it takes every fiber of my body not to intervene. I mean, it, it, I have to leave. I have to walk away because I can't listen to that. You know, some kid, this is how small they are. They're sitting in the basket telling their mama what she's going to do and what he ain't going to do. Take me about 30 seconds to put him in the obeying business. You know what I mean? Like in the, in the be quiet, do what I say business. Why is that important? You say, oh, that's mean. No, 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 that's love. Because if there's no structure in a child's life, when they become adults, guess what's going to happen? There is no structure. Why, listen, why do we have high schoolers who have no respect for teachers? Well, it starts in elementary school. It is high school. Why do, we, why do we have children in school who cuss out their teachers, who tell a teacher what they're going to do and what they're not going to do? We as adults shouldn't put up with that. And where it starts is in the home. And the reason we had that problem is because it's in the home. I remember when I was growing up, if I got in trouble at school, you better pray mom and daddy don't find out about it. Because it was double jeopardy. And back when I was in school, they would paddle your behind with a board. And if I got paddled at school, I didn't want mom and daddy to find out about it because what's going to happen when I get home? I'm going to get it again. And I would tell them, I already got paddled once. I know, but we didn't do it. We're doing it too. And I would get two paddlings for acting up in school. Today, the reason we have the problem we have is the parents are against the teachers. And the parents aren't working with the... Listen, why is it that way? Because we're not following the pattern. Not following the biblical paradigm here of we dads. Whose responsibility is it to set the standards in the home? Us. It's us. Not domineering, not mean-spirited, because all discipline has to be coupled with what? Love. Okay? If discipline is not coupled with love, then it's just discipline. But if we love and we set boundaries and we set standards, and it's hard. It's hard to be unwavering. It's hard to say, no, this is the way it is, and we ain't changing. Why? Because you love them, and you want to give them everything. But what happens if you give them everything? Then we have the problem, right? Job. Job was a man who was committed and he taught his children and in his home discipline. And then, and then finally, real quick, it says here that Job shunned evil. That's important too. It means he turned away from it. It means he didn't walk close to it. He didn't see how close he could get to being wrong without being wrong. He shunned evil. Eschewed is the cool King James word, but he shunned it, Okay. It means that Job knew in his life what was right and he pursued it. Why is that important? Because dads, if nothing else in life, we serve as a model for our children to follow. And when they see us shunning evil, they see us pursuing Jesus and pursuing right, what does it motivate them to do? 
Most kids want to be like their dad. Most girls want to be like their mama. And so when we set the path for them, then it's easy to get them to follow us. And so he shunned evil. Understand this. The Bible says Satan wants nothing more than to destroy you, your family, your home, and everything you own. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And the Bible says he's like a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he may devour. And if you open the door and I open the door and we let him in by not shunning evil, he will come in and wreak havoc on everything you love. Job shunned evil. He pushed it away. Finally, I want to show you this morning the spiritual leader that Job was. And that was his character. Which if we want to be the dad's called us to be, he's a good model. He's a good model. Now look at his spiritual leadership in his home. Look at verses 2 to 5 in Job 1. It says, And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. So he had ten children. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. Take note of that. This guy's wealthy beyond what you can think of, but his wealth didn't diminish his love for God. Look at verse 4. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite uh, their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Verse 5, So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Regularly. Keep in mind that Again, Job lived before there was the Mosaic Law. There no, there's no given sacrificial system. There's no Judaic system to bring offerings for a sin offering and this offering and that offering. Where do you think, just throw this in for free, where do you think Job got the idea of offerings from? How about all the way back in the Garden of Eden? What do we find Cain and Abel doing? Bringing offerings. Why? Because there's sin. So Job understood, and what he understood, that I need to make intercession for my children. That there is such a thing as sinning against God, and I need to make intercession for them. And so what's he doing? He's bringing offerings for them. Now it's a beautiful picture here, because they're a close-knit family, the brothers and the sisters, fellowshipping together, and that always blesses a mom and dad's heart on it. Amen. I mean, when your kids fight, it hurts you. But when they're loving one another and they're hanging out together, man, it just blesses you. And so Job was a blessed man. All ten of them like one another, it looks like. The sisters would hang out with the brothers and don't know if it was their birthdays or what it was, but they're having meals together. And as a spiritual leader in the home, here's what Job did. He brought offerings for them on a regular basis before God. He prayed for them. And he did all he could to lead them to follow God. Men, it's a never-ending task in this life to lead our children to follow God. Even when they get grown, we talk to our grown kids about their walk with the Lord. We talk to the two at home about their walk with the Lord. Why? Because it's regular. It's over and over and over to point them to Jesus. And then finally, Job was proactive. He was intentional in the winning of his children for God. He was proactive in it. Guys, it is our responsibility to be the spiritual leaders in our homes. It's our responsibility to do that. 
We have to lead our family to know God. Now, moms have a special place in that. Moms have a special connection to children. But dads, it is our responsibility to be the leaders in the home and bring them to know the Lord. I wrote down four things. After all this, guys, that we can take away from it before we close. Uh, number one is this. Be men who stay. Be men who stay. Our wives need unwavering, uncompromising commitment from us as husbands. That's it. That's biblical. Our children see that. Be a man who stays. Honor the vows that you made. Be a man of integrity. Be the husband God called you to be to one wife for all your life. Number two, purity. Our wives need our uncompromising faithfulness, purity. Don't be tempted by the world to be morally loose, to have an affair, to embrace pornography, to do any of that stuff. Be a man of purity. Your children need a dad who pursues holiness. Now, your children know that you're not perfect. Mine know I'm not perfect. But at the end of the day, they know who I follow. And they know I know how to confess. And I'll tell you another thing, Dad. If I make a mistake with my children, I'm not ashamed to say to them I should have done better than that. Doesn't excuse your misbehavior, but I should have done better than that. I think your children respect that. So be a man of purity, integrity. Number three, be proactive. Guys, took me a while to learn this. My children don't need my money nearly as much as they need me. They don't need my stuff. Yeah, I got to provide for them. I got to put a roof over their head. I got to feed them. But you know what they really need? They need me. They need me. They need me to be invested in their lives. When I was a little boy, I used to play with Hot Wheels cars in the dirt. I was one of them kids, man. I'd come in dirty every day. I mean dirty, really, covered in dirt. So I'd be playing Hot Wheels. And one day my daddy, who was in the Navy, was home. And, and of all the things I remember about my dad, I remember him doing this very vividly. I was about a, we lived in a 10 by 50 trailer. That's 500 square feet for anybody who's figuring that out. And four of us lived in 500 square feet. And by the trailer, I was, made me some roads, and I was playing with my Hot Wheels cars. And my dad came out and sat down in the dirt with me and played cars with me for about an hour. Not a big deal. Didn't, we didn't have any real moral discussions, you know. We just played Hot Wheels cars. But I'll never forget that, because what is that? That was my dad investing in me, his time. You know, he was busy. He's in the Navy, you know. But he played Hot Wheels cars with me. Your dads need you. Be proactive. And then finally, lastly, above all else, be a godly man. Not perfect, not, not sinless, not faultless. You know, we'll, we'll get there when Jesus gives us a new body and we get to heaven. But pursue moral purity. Pursue holiness. Pursue right thinking, right actions, right motives. Because above everything else, 
in, in your home and in my home. As men, we serve as a prototype of what our children should strive to become. If we go back to the beginning of our thoughts this morning, we have so many people, young people growing up in homes with no prototype, with no dad, no father figure, which is why we have the issues that we have in society today. As we close, this all begins, men, with a relationship with God. Job was right before God. He was blameless because he was saved. If we want to be the moms and dads, if we want our marriage to last, we want it to be strong, we want our children to learn, we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, if this relationship is right individually, then all these relationships can be right. If this one is not right, none of these are going to be right. So it starts with being saved. If you're here this morning, you say, well, I'm not a man, I'm not a father, but I need to be saved. Jesus will save you. We all need to be saved. We're all sinners. We're all lost. Would you pray today? Would you invite Jesus to come into your heart? Would you ask him to forgive your sins and save you today? Let's pray. Father, we've learned some important things today as, as men and as fathers. And Lord, it's hard because we are we are flawed men, and we are weak many times in the flesh, and God, we fail often. But Father, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. Uh, Lord, help us, God, to, to be able to be all the things you've called us to be. And God, we pray earnestly over our children and our young people that, God, we can help set them on the right path, Lord, to know you as Lord and Savior and to follow you all their lives. I pray, God, you help us to make a difference in our families, one, one child at a time, Lord, one at a time. God, I pray if there's somebody here this morning who is without Christ, they've never been saved. In this moment right now, Lord, if they need to be saved, God, they know in their heart they need to be saved. God, I just pray right now that they would call out to you and say, God, I'm, I'm lost and I know it. God, I want to be forgiven of my sin. God, forgive me. I put my faith in you. I trust you. God, save me right now. God, you'll save all who ask. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing. If I can help you, you come on the first verse. Jesus, draw me close, closer, Lord, to you. Let the world around me fade away. Jesus, draw
Jesus, draw me close.